It's a great joy to be here. Thank you. It's a great joy to see what God is doing in a people whom he loves and who walk in the love of God by the Holy Spirit, loving and ministering to one another. It's a great joy. So thank you, Jeff, for allowing me to come up here and be here with you. I suppose if I were to ask you, what is our greatest need? You know, on the street, they talk to people and they stop and say, and they ask this question, you're on TV or whatever they call. Oh, by the way, I know we're on the, uh, what do they call that live stream? So where's the camera so I can wave to the people? Where is it? Hey, good to see y'all. For those of you who should have been here this morning, I'm coming back next week. (laughs) And I have a list. I can start naming them if you want me to. I do. I know who's not here today. See, I can do this without getting any flack from it. Jeff will get the flack and then whatever. What is your greatest need today? You know, all of us have needs. This church has needs. You've been going through a season where the need has been accentuated. And so what would we say is our greatest need? Here's what the Holy Spirit tells us through the prophet Jeremiah. Here's your greatest need. Here's my greatest need. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Now, I don't know what notes are in your notes. Thus saith the Lord. Let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and he knows me. Understanding the cognitive apprehension of what the word of God says about God, right? God is one, two, three, he does this, he does The cognitive, the mental understanding. But that's, that's not a law, that's not only thing because there is the other part of it. God tells us who he is in his word. So he is giving us a mental understanding in order that we know him. And knowing him is the is our personal relationship with him, our fellowship with him. That's what knowing is, that fellowship. Of all the things that has been going on in this church, in your life, in the world, nothing is more paramount than knowing and understanding God. Nothing. Now, my wife would tell you, I live this perfectly. She will tell you that. Now listen to what 1 John 4, 8 says. The Holy Spirit, again, is speaking through the Apostle John. And I don't think this is in your notes, but you might want to write it down. 1 John 4, 8. I just have part of the verse in your notes. But realize I should have put the whole thing. Anyone who does not love 
does not know God because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, when the Holy Spirit tells us anyone who does not love, you may say, well, I love people. I love what I'm a loving person. So I know that I know God because I love things. I love folks. I'm trying to love more. I'm trying to love more consistently. I'm doing the best I can. But then there's another verse in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And the apostle says this. He says, Behold, see what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God and such we are. There's that word love again, to know God. But you see, what John is saying here is this. He doesn't say, you know, what you need to do is to learn to love one another and learn to love me. And no, he doesn't say that. In this verse, look carefully what he says. He says, what manner, what kind, what sort of love? Now, what does that say? The apostle has, by the revelation of the Holy Spirit... The apostle has differentiated between God's kind of love and our kind of love. He's made a distinction between the two. And so in order to know God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures, we must come to have a better understanding of his kind of love. That's imperative. Because you see, the central revelation, I think, that God desires that we know about him, among all the things that is true about God, probably, I could be wrong here, but probably the central, most significant core revelation is this. What John says in 1 John 4, toward the end, God is love. Now, when John says God is love, do you notice he didn't say John ha uh, 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 God has love? You notice that. There's a difference between I have something and I am something. There's a difference. Do you see the distinction here? God doesn't have love. He is love. And as the consequence of him being love, therefore... He loves. Does this make sense to us? And so in this statement, God is love. What the word of God tells us is that John is saying that love is one of the essential attributes of God. Now, why did not just say one of the attributes of God? Because you see, to say an essential attribute, that means that love is part of God's nature is an aspect of God's nature. An essential attribute is an attribute that God must have in order to remain God. 
it's not something that comes and goes in him. It is something that is indigenous to his very nature. So God's essential attributes have to do with who God is in himself. This means that every essential attribute of God, and there's several, and we're going to talk about a couple, three today. Every essential attribute, and this is so significant to get, and the reason is this. We have a tendency as God's people to distinguish one thing from another and another. That's okay. But then in that distinction, we begin, we fail to see the interconnection and the interwovenness and the oneness of all of that. And so we may begin to say, well, you know, this is the most important thing about God. Or this is the most important thing about God. And that's incorrect to say about God's essential attributes. So when the word says God is love, it is speaking about a, 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 uh, an attribute that is equally, simultaneously, comprehensively active in every one of his attributes. And in fact, if there is a diminution, a diminishing of any essential attribute of God, God cannot be God. He can only be God and he is only God as he is who he is fully Continually, absolutely, comprehensively. And so, as a result, not one of God's, no, none of God's attributes are more important than the other. But don't we think like this? Well, the most important thing about God is his sovereignty. No, the most important thing about God is his mercy. The most important thing about God is his righteousness. No, all of that is incorrect. Because it begins to categorize God in ways that he is not in himself. So that means this, that God's love does not stand apart from any of his other attributes, but that God's love exists and functions in tandem with all of his other attributes. So that means this, that God's love is as much a part of any of his other attributes do we see that? That's important to understand that, at least basically. We're not making a distinction to separate. We make distinctions in order to understand the fullness of who God is. So this morning, what we're going to be doing in next week, now I took a chance by saying next week, because you see, you didn't know I was going to be here this week. Okay. All right, we made a mistake by coming this morning, but we ain't making the same mistake next week. This week, we're going to talk about God's love in connection with three of his essential attributes. And then next week, we're going to conclude by referring to God's love in relation to other, the three other attributes. And by the way, we're going to be talking about six of them all together. That is not an exhaustive list. It's just what I felt the Holy Spirit gave to me to share with the church. So I think you have the attributes listed in your notes. Here are the attributes that we're going to be showing that any of these attributes, love is as much a part of each of these as each of these is a part of each other of these. So omniscience. God is omniscient. 
omnipotence, omnipresent, immutable or immutability, sovereignty, and righteousness. So this morning we're going to be talking about the three omnis. Next week we'll talk about the last three. And the challenge is going to come this morning, uh, next week rather. We're not going to have any real issue with the first five, basically. There may be a few questions. But the challenge, not only for us, but for the world, is when we talk about God's love in relation to his righteousness. Because that's where it's really going to strike us. Because that's where it strikes the world. So let's look at this morning as we pray. Father, Father, we are not desiring just to give information. That's not our point. Father, we're asking that your spirit will communicate to our minds and then, as a result, to our hearts. Your kind of love. Ah, this is God's kind of love. This is what it means in a larger way that God is love. This is the love with which he loves us. So, Father, this morning, for next week, and during the week, Father, would you cause what you say by your spirit this morning to resonate in us, to become a part of our souls, to become part of our very being, part of the very way we live and we think, we respond. Father, cause it to be so in Jesus' name. Amen. What does omnipresent mean? Anybody knows what omnipresent means? Nobody knows? What? Everywhere. To say that God is omnipresent is to say that God is everywhere, all the time, immediately. God is everywhere, all the time, immediately. There's not a moment in time that God is not fully there. There's nowhere we can go where God is not fully present. In fact, we can say this with certainty and with truth. All, if you would, all that there is of God, all of God is here with us today. Do you believe that? But at the same time, all of God is over there with those people at the same time this morning. Now, how can that be? If, if we have all of God here, that must mean that somebody's missing something of God over there. Extremely significant to get this. God is omnipresent. He is always, everywhere, all the time, immediately present. Have you thought about that before? It's like, wow. I thought that when I thought that word or I did that deed, God didn't know. You remember what he says in Psalms, Psalm 139, 7. Oh, Lord, 
Where can I go from your presence? Where can I go? So the first thing is, God is everywhere, immediately present. So where can we go from his presence? Where? Nowhere. Therefore, because God is omnipresent, his love is also an omnipresent love. Because God is omnipresent, his love is omnipresent. This is why when Jesus says this, he makes this promise in Matthew 28, 20. He says, behold, I am with you always. Always is an omnipresent word, if you would. I am with you always, when? Even to the end of the world, even in your distress, even in your sin, even in your difficulties, even in your dot, dot, dot. I am with you. Why? Because the Spirit of God, God himself, is omnipresent. Therefore, his love is omnipresent. Now, are there times in our lives when we feel that God is not present? Anybody ever felt like that? I'm the, the three of us who have felt like that. Oh, oh, more than three. How many of us have ever, how many of us, Stuart, you behave yourself. You see, they made Stuart Masson sit on the front seat for a particular reason. Two reasons. First of all, that he'd behave himself. And second, that he wouldn't go to sleep. I know Stu. What were we talking about? I forgot. Where am I? Stu, you messed me up. What are we talking about? How many of you have felt this? I feel, I feel like God has withdrawn his love from me. Hmm? I feel like God has withdrawn his love from me. Anybody feels that? Come on, come on. You can, you can admit to that. How many of you are alive this morning? Then you have felt that from time to time. You have felt that. Is it possible? Is it possible that God has withdrawn his love from you? Yes or no? If it is, then God is not omnipresent. And if he's not omnipresent, we're worshiping the wrong God. You see how significant this is. I wish I had six hours. Probably kill you. So let's get the first point. Because God is omnipresent. And because God is love. His love therefore never ever leaves us. Ever leaves us. We may experience his love differently from time to time. But never does he withdraw his love. May I say that so you can hear that again, Mike? Did you hear me just then? <laughs> it's important because the devil wants you to believe, well, this has happened, that's happened, I did that, whatever. Therefore, what about God's love? Listen to what the apostle says in Romans 8.35. Who or what will be able to separate us from the omniscient, omnipresent love of God. Will tribulation? Will distress? You know, y'all can respond. It's, it's okay. Will persecution? Will famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Why? Because his love is omnipresent with us. This is the love of God for us. This is who he is. Secondly, omnipotent. Omnipotent has to do with God's power. Now listen to the way we must understand the word omnipotent or omnipotence. It has to do with God's personal power to do anything and everything that is in keeping with his nature and his character. Can God do anything? Yes, Yes, except that which is contrary to himself. Are you with me? Make sure you get it right. He can do anything and everything that is not in contrary, that is not contrary to himself. So can we just say blanketly God can do everything? No, we can't. We have to make sure that we say it correctly. So in Matthew, Mark, rather, 10, 27, Jesus affirms God's omnipotence. He says, with people, he's talking about a particular issue. It is impossible, but with God, for all things are possible. Now, do you believe that? All things are possible. And so, because God's, because God is himself omnipotent, all-powerful, what about his love? Is it omnipotent? Yes or no? Do you believe that? In other words, whom God decides to love will experience his love. There is nothing or nobody, no circumstances ever that will in any way stop God from achieving his purpose of loving his people. Nothing. Not even my personal sin. Have you felt once in a while that what you've done for the 38th time in six days is going to affect the power of God's love in you? Have you felt that? Okay, you felt it. But the question is not whether you have felt it because all of us are there from time to time because we're human beings. So the question is never, I feel What is the real question? Is it true? Come on, church. Is it true? Is it true that my sin can stop God from loving me? Is my sin stronger than God's love? Come on, church. Is my sin stronger than God's love? No. Never. Never. Excuse me for getting verbose up here. But these are shouting words. Because you see, the, the lie that comes against us is shouting into our ears. And we need to know and to shout back in the face of that lying enemy that the truth is God's love is ever-present and it is always all-powerful. And because of that, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.6. He says, I am confident of this very one thing. That he who has, what? Begun a good work 
in me or in us. What? Well, what? Oh, I hope I get to it. I hope I... No! He who has begun it, I am confident that he will do what? What does it say? Will what? Complete it. When? Does it say it? At the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, all of this will be completed when Jesus returns. You see, if we're not settled and anchored in this, we are going to be tossed about by the feelings and the accusations of the enemy. And we have to be settled. God's love is stronger than even my sin. This is why one of my favorite verses is Romans 5.20. I don't know if they put that up there. Maybe not. The last part of that verse, Romans 5.20. You've got to know this. You just have to know this verse, Romans 5.20. The last part of it says, where sin abounds. How many of us have experienced the abounding of sin? Come on. All of us have. Where sin abounds, what? Man, that looks strong. Where sin abounds, what? Grace. More or outdoes it completely. One molecule of God's grace is greater than all the sin of all people for all time. Did you get that? One molecule of God's love is greater than all sin. By all people in all time. Do you believe it? Romans 5.20. Get it under your belt. So when the liar, slithering, slimy snake comes up to you and begins to accuse you. And you've done it wrong. What do you do? You're right. You're right, Satan. I did that. I thought that. You're right. But. But. Then you throw back in that liar's face the truth that God's love is omnipresent and is omnipotent. Amen. You just throw it back in his face. Otherwise, you're going to be crushed by this. So God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Also, he's omniscient. Now, what does that mean? God knows everything all the time, equally, instantly, comprehensively. Now, how, how what word do I want uh, can't find my word right now. How settled are we that God knows everything about us? <laughs> you know what's the great thing about this? Because God is omniscient. What does that mean? All-knowing. His love is omniscient. So here's the good thing about it. At the cross... God poured every 
sin of my life and your life into the shoulders of Jesus. Everything God knew about me and about you, from when? Oh, wow, didn't it? Everything God knew from what? From the moment we were conceived all the way to the moment we die. Everything. How much does he know about me? And all of that knowledge, complete and total, of all of our sin, he placed on the shoulder of Jesus. Every bit of it. Why? Because he's omniscient. And when Jesus in John 1930, you need to know this first. Jesus in 1930 said, it is finished. It's finished. The debt is paid. Sin is forgiven. Everything that my God knows about me has been cleansed at the cross. That means this, that everything that God knew about me in the past has been cleansed. That's great. Years ago, my wife and I own a printing company. I'm printing away a little. That's the sound of a multi-lift printing. I'm standing there and the thought comes to me, isn't it wonderful that I've forgiven you of everything you've ever done? Did you hear what I just said? Is it wonderful that I've forgiven you of everything that what you have past tense ever done? Yes, thank you, Lord, for that. But then, Denny, he said something greater. Isn't it wonderful that I have already forgiven you of the things you haven't yet done wrong? I shut the press down. I couldn't continue to print. I had to stop. And I had to, in that room by myself, yell and scream. The sin that you're going to commit today and tomorrow, does God already know about it? Does he already know about it? You don't know. He knows. Has he forgiven it? Has his love covered that sin in the death of Christ? Yes. See, in Romans chapter 5, Paul lists, makes a description of who we were. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, we were enemies, but Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. You see, we're talking about attributes this morning that comprehensively define who God is. That if any of these attributes were diminished, even a minuscule or a molecule, just a molecule, God would not be God. Every one of these attributes is equally, fully, continually active and present in the nature and in the character and in the person of our God forever. Forever. So that means that God's love is always 
always omnipresent. Where are you going to go? God's love is always, always omnipotent. What are you going to do to overcome his love? His love is omniscient. What are you going to do? What have you done that is not or has not been included at the cross? See, when John says in 1 John 4, verse 8, and at the end of verse 16 also, God is love. This apostle is being given the revelation of who God is in himself. You see, this omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's Romans 5, 5. This is the love that has been given to us when God saved us. This is that love. This is the love. This is the love that proclaims the glory of God. So when we see how love exists and functions in tandem with his other attributes, perhaps now we can understand why this apostle said in 1 John 3, 1, see what love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God and such we are. (gasps) This is not just This is a love that is absolutely foreign and completely opposite. This is the love that each one of us who are saved has operating and functioning in us. Amen? This is the love of God for us. This is God's love for each one of you, for this church, for your pastor and his family. Is our God a great God? Amen. Next week we'll talk about God's love in relation to his immutability, his sovereignty, and his righteousness. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, man. Uh, we are going to celebrate um, the Lord's Supper together. And what a, what a backdrop to be able to do this. We thought doing it afterwards would be wonderful to be able just to rehearse God's love. So if you would, please uh, come to the front and use the middle aisle Grab the elements and return to your seats and hold them so we can take them together.
scripture reminds us that on the night he was to be betrayed, when he knew what was getting ready to happen, and everybody else was still looking at him like this, what are you talking about exactly? He knew. He knew the powerful demonstration of his love that would be for us by going and having his body broken. So he took the bread, he gave thanks. This is my body, which is broken for you. Amazing. He was broken so we wouldn't have to stand under the wrath of God. He was broken so we could know his love. Always, ever present. that after supper he took the cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant I love those words I love those words the new covenant sealed in his blood that would be all the promises all those omnis his love would capture us and captivate us forever you know in heaven going to be still captured and captivated by God's love for all eternity. And this new covenant that, that Jesus said, you know, all the promises of the Old Testament where God said, one, his spirit would be in us and that he would never turn away from doing good. Jeremiah 31, beautiful promise, sealed with his blood. Let's remember as we take. Lord, how great and precious this reminder as the family of God, but more so as your children, to be reminded of your love. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice that seals it all for us. It seals it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As Pastor Peter said in our commission that we recite every week, he's with us. He's with us. Let's recite this together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen.